Macro Podcast number 428 for October 7th, 2014, brought to you by Veradesk, the height-adjustable standing desk for a healthier working environment, and Igloo, the internet you'll actually like. Welcome back to the Macro Podcast. I'm one host, Chris Breen, and the other host is... Hi, I'm Susie. Yeah, it's Hi, I'm Susie, which is uh, Susie Oaks. Hey, Susie Oaks here. Susie Oaks there. Yeah, so uh, this is your second time. Uh, you passed the audition for the first one. Yay. Pe- Yay, people, very nice things to say about you. They thought the uh, the last one went well, so let's just keep doing this. Okay. Okay, um, but we probably should talk about some stuff. So, uh, first thing I had. I love stuff. Stu- I do too. Because, you know, podcasting and stuff, they go together like ham and eggs. Stuff and things. Yeah. So, um, there's a rumor of an October 16th event from our good friends at Apple. And uh, this isn't just sort of your, oh, anybody made this up thing, but I think Recode threw this one out there. Yes. And uh, we haven't heard from J- Dalrymple yet. Who sort I'm of has surprised the- that he hasn't. I think if it was not, then he would have said nope right away. And the fact that he hasn't said nope makes me think that there's really something to this. I totally believe in this rumor. Okay. Well, then in that case, and, and Recode too is, they have yeah. people that talk to them. They have so. good sources. Yeah. So they say October 16th event. So therefore, it is our job, uh, our mission, as it were, to talk about what we think Apple's going to talk about. That's okay, what we're so here for. That's why we're here. So they've done the iPhone thing already. Yep. So old news. They'll, uh, you know, wh- they'll mention it at the beginning. They'll be like, hey, we sold a bajillion iPhones. Yay. And Right. Do you, do you think they'll comment on the bending thing? No. No. That's out. It's just done. Didn't happen. Yeah, it's overblown. it was such a it was so overblown. I I don't think they're going to comment on it at all. Okay, uh, watch done. Any more details on that? Oh man, I would love it if they told us when the watch was coming out. Like the thing I always loved about the Apple events is that they tell you what the product is, what it does, when it's coming out, and how much it's going to cost. Now with the watch, they couldn't really do that. It was a little more of a tease. They introduced the product, but we don't have a release date and we don't have a full slate of prices. They said it's going to start at 350 but it seems like it's going to go up and up and up and up from there because one of these things is made out of solid gold. So it would be nice if we got that extra detail that was missing in the first one. I I wouldn't hold my breath for it, but I would be thrilled if they told us a little bit more about when we can get the watch and how much that's going to cost. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think they're going to do the full menu of pricing because I think the gold one is going to be expensive. Yeah. It's one of those things where if you have to ask, you can't afford it. (laughs) Yeah, right. So let's say that it's 2,500 bucks, which for a solid gold high-end watch is it's reasonable and it goes up from there but it would be the first thing that everybody would grab on the headline yeah. you know, and say oh the apple watch is going to be $2500 forgetting that the least expensive one is far less than that but yeah. instead it just underscores that oh well apple is for the elite and they're going to be introducing products that they want us to open our wallets for in the meantime they're not going to be right. like here's a bunch of stuff you can buy today and by the way you can or you could save your money for this expensive thing that's coming out later I just yeah, yeah. that that would be odd for them to do. Yeah. So okay, let's see. Let's talk about the things that they may talk about that will compel us to open our wallets before the holidays, because that's really why they time these things the way they do. Yeah. So first thing, iPads. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is probably the iPad event. I mean, they used to have like that music one in the fall where it would just be mm-hmm. uh, iPods and Apple TV, but 
Um, since the iPods kind of stopped getting their own splashy event, then this is kind of the iPad event. So I think that's the that's the no-brainer. They're going to roll out new iPads. Okay, so let's speculate then. What can they possibly do with the iPad to make it more iPad-y? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I would love to see Touch ID on there, although iPads tend to be shared a little more than mm-hmm. iPhones. So they might have to have... Maybe they'll have uh, user accounts where, you know, someone in your Ooh. family picks it up, they press their thumb to the home button, and then it opens up and it says, hi, Chris, here's all your stuff that you were working on last time you were on this iPad, and keeps your family's stuff out of the way. Um, that, w- that would be a, a wish list item of mine. Wow, that would be a significant change to iOS 8. I know, it would be really weird. I think it would be weird. I like it. I know, I really like the idea, particularly on the iPad, more, much more so than on the iPhone. I don't know if they could do it without, you know, that like they've been holding back the secret version of iOS 8 and say, by the way, multi-user accounts. But you are allowed up to five fingerprints, I believe. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason one of them couldn't be somebody in your family or a couple of them couldn't be. So yeah. you could share it out that way. But then you're right. It is one device with one set of apps that gets thrown around the family, although I haven't heard people. Yeah, I think family find, sharing yeah. is their new kind of way to have, you know, to share content with your family, but I think they're still expecting everyone to have their own device or to just share one device and just kind of work around each other's stuff. Right. Okay. So Touch ID would be one thing, probably a faster processor, right? The yep. A8, throw that in there. Um, camera? Yeah, they'll probably make the camera better. That's kind of a, a gimme. Whenever they refresh the things, they make the cameras a little better. Um you know, it's more important with the iPhone because I think that's more of people's go-to camera than the iPad. But you do see people walking around in public during the day just taking pictures with their iPad. I see it around San Francisco all the time. Is uh, people's reaction, because I don't get out, um, are people's reactions a little less like, oh, what are you doing on oh, iPad? You are so lame. Are, are, <laughs> is it becoming more acceptable now to do that? It's becoming more common. I mean, I still kind of roll my eyes at them, but I just like making fun of people. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And it, I mean, and the screen is, it's actually kind of nice to take an iPad sort of out and about. Like there's so much more room for your maps and the screen's so much better to edit these photos and show them off. So... Yeah, it's I'm kind of over my annoyance of of people who use their iPads as picture as cameras. Like if you were at a concert and you did it, all the people behind you definitely want to punch you. But um, just just out and around the city, it's it's no big deal. People do it all the time. Well, and particularly when people are using like six pluses now to take pictures. Yeah, that almost looks like a little iPad. Yeah, so maybe it becomes less lame. Yeah, it's not that bad. I would like to see a better camera in there because I, I know that I want to take a picture of something for Twitter. I pick up my iPad Air and I flip on the camera and go, oh, guess I like my iPhone's camera so much better. And I still have a 5S and I still think that's a much better camera than the one the iPad. That is a really nice camera. So it would be nice to see uh, the iPad bumped up that way. Yeah, they could throw in some of that optical image stabilization that's in the, the yeah. 6 Plus. That would be really nice. It's hard to hold those things steady. They're so big. Yeah, yeah. And then what else? Probably thinner, I guess. Yeah, I don't know how they can make it thinner, but they, <laughs> they, they keep making do, it thinner, so <laughs> it'll be fun to or see. Or they make it look like it's thinner because they, they scallop the edges in some way that it feels, yeah. and then they make it lighter somehow, so you think it's, ooh, look at that. Yeah, going from the iPad to the iPad Air with the tiny, thin bezel, and it, it's the same size screen, but it seems so much smaller. Yeah, okay, and then what about the iPad? Mini? They do that one too? 
Yeah, they should do that one too. Just, you know, at least give it a faster chip and better, pro you know, uh, better battery life would be great. Everyone always mm -hmm. loves that. Um, what do you think about NFC? Probably not, right? I mean, that would be the new taking pictures with your iPad would be whipping it out to try to pay for stuff at an Apple Pay station. Yeah, I sure don't see the reason for it. I think if you've, because they want you to own every one of their devices. Right. iPhone, iPad, everything else. Yeah, I don't know how many people need that little carrier bag with them and then pull out their iPad to do NFC. I'm thinking not. Yeah. Unless they just are looking for another thing to put on their feature list, but I don't think it's the right device for that. Yeah, I don't either. Okay, well, we'll throw that one out then. Um, yeah. I, I guess they could move the buttons around if they wanted to, but other than that, I just I don't see much else they can do with it. Uh, unless they make some of the, the screen, maybe it's less crackable or something. Yeah, they could experiment with materials. They could give them, um, they could have a gold one. There's no gold iPad Ooh, yet. Oh, gold, there? okay. Yeah, what do you think? Gold? Sure. Good idea on, a, on really? Yeah, people, I mean, that gold iPhone people really like, so... I'm going to make a gold iPad. I'll get people to buy it again. <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, all right. So I think unless you have any other ideas on the iPad, I think that's it. I don't know. I mean, a lot of the other tablet makers really hang their hat on having their own keyboard, and Apple's always let that be a third-party opportunity, and I think the third parties do a really good job with it. So I would be surprised if Apple did that, and it would seem like they were trying to, you know, catch up with the, the Microsofts and the, of the world. We're doing their own. Oh, keyboards. the one that's, that are built into the cover. Yeah, yeah. They make like a keyboard cover. Yeah, yeah. The other, some of the other companies use that as a big selling point. And Apple's like, you want a keyboard? Go buy one from Logitech or any of those other companies that make one. Right, and then if you already have one of their Bluetooth keyboards, you can use that. Yeah, but it's, it's kind of clunky to carry around. But I mean, Apple likes to crow about their their smart cover, so they could try to make the smart cover smarter by giving it a keyboard or something else. I don't know. I guess they could, you know, but I've I've heard people's feedback on the Surface where they use that built-in keyboard in the cover and people invariably kind of go ick. Yeah. Because it doesn't have much of tactile feedback and it just makes the thing kind of clumsy and the little kickstand on the back. It, it demos well and looks good, but for practical use, it looks kind of like, yeah, I don't think we really need to do this. And there are other ways to do it. You can use dictation if you want to do that sort of stuff. The third-party keyboard's built in now if, you, if you're not happy with the one that Apple's got. So Yeah, I think that's a better approach because not everyone's going to like the same keyboard and... So yeah, and it also doesn't. I mean, Apple's so kind of forward-looking and and like, well, this is the way you should do it going into the future, rather than take a step back and say, all right, fine, if you want a mechanical keyboard, here, just <laughs> use this if you insist on it. No, I think they they like to push boundaries and say, no, you don't want that. Yeah. Oh, okay, get a third-party keyboard. And you don't. They don't. They probably don't want to put a kickstand on it either for the same reason. It would make it oh, thicker. No. It would be you know a stress point that could break and. And it's so analog. Yeah. You know, I mean, what's yeah, well, you got to put a piece of huh, there to make the thing stand up. Yeah. It just doesn't do it by anti-gravity, <laughs> which is what we're really working on here. That would be um, the killer feature if it could just float in the air. Oh, don't think they're not thinking about it. Yeah. Any day now. Um, okay. Apple TV. Apple TV really kind of needs something. Um, mm -hmm. The the. The box is fine. I think that uh, you had a great idea recently that they should use that as the hub for their home kit. Yeah, I really like that idea. Me and it too. turns out somebody somebody dug in there and said, yeah, they've actually put it in there. So 
I think it's, um, I mean, it just makes so much sense from so many angles. I mean, the privacy angle, for one, that I don't want every device in my house talking to dozens of different manufacturers. I'd much rather have it go through one thing where all that information is encrypted, it's all hashed out, and so none of the devices actually know anything. All they know is what their information they're getting from the Apple TV. And Apple is pushing more as privacy as a feature. So that just makes a ton of sense to me. It's always on. You don't have to worry about booting it. It doesn't use a lot of power. Uh, and certainly there are other things they can do in terms of media, but I think at home, in terms of HomeKit, that I think makes a lot of sense. Plus, Apple would get a piece of that in sort of the made-for-iPhone kind of way where it's made for Apple TV, and they get a little piece of any device that talks to the Apple TV and then talks to Apple through it. So yeah. I would love to see that happen. And I know you're into this this home tech Internet of Things thing. Yeah, it's the cool new Internet. It is the cool new internet, and other companies seem to be doing it as well. Google's got their Nest, and they want to use that for the hub, and there are other hubs that are spouting up. And I don't know if that's in reaction to the possibility that Apple will do that, or if that's just really the, wow, we need something to, to work as a traffic cop for all the devices that we're going to have. Yeah, right now it seems like they're all just kind of making it up as they go. Like the different devices use different protocols and and. Companies are coming out with their own sets of APIs and SDKs to try to get, you know, partners to have their apps and their gadgets all talk to each other. But it hasn't, we haven't really come landed on one thing that's going to make sense for the most people. Um, right now, there's a lot of systems where you can kind of start with a couple of sensors and then add more, but you have to stay within that system. So with something like Apple TV, it would really let it would give people like a larger installed base because a lot of time, you know, there's all these different hubs. There's the Revolve hub and the SmartThings hub and Staples Connect has its own hub and Lutron has a hub. So you only want one hub in your house maximum. And yeah. Apple's hub will be the one that more things will be able to talk to because everyone's going to want to work with Apple. And that's a really simplified way of looking at it. But yeah, it's going to be more of a certification program like made for iPhone only for um, home devices. And yeah, and then Apple will worry about the security. Uh, developers will be able to write applications that work on these things, even if they're not you know, involved in making the things themselves. Um, I had a really cool meeting with some people who make a charger. And it's just a little charger, no big deal. Um, but they're putting Bluetooth in it. And they're saying, hey, all these devices that can run off USB power plug it into our our charger with Bluetooth, and all of a sudden it's a HomeKit-compatible toaster, a HomeKit-compatible lamp. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just going to open up a lot more possibilities and speed adoption, and that's what's really holding it back is that no one really knows, even like the smaller companies don't really know you know which, which team to play on. So everyone's going to want to be on Apple's team. I hope so, although I, I'm sure they're going to be, you know, we're going to have the usual couple of years war over this where Google's going to fight really hard to get people on their side. Apple's going to be pushing on their side. It would be nice if Apple just kind of came out and owned it. And then everybody said, yeah, all right, fine. Let's just do that. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. Um, oh, what about media on there? So they keep adding channels. People still seem to be clinging to Roku for, because it's a better media server if, for your, uh, for your media on your computer. Mm -hmm. 
And um, they like Amazon streaming, and yet you can't get that on the Apple TV. So do they just add more channels, or do they kind of rethink the whole thing? I think the interface really needs an overhaul. It's annoying to me how the new channels just show up, but I mean, there's that's kind of the best way for them to do it because there isn't a channel store on with the Roku or with the Fire TV. There's a channel store, and you can go in there mm-hmm. and kind of turn on the channels. And with Apple TV, you have to dig into the settings. It's annoying how every channel has you logging into your pay TV provider's account to unlock stuff. There isn't one place you can go and say, look, I have Comcast. Like, which of these channels works with Comcast? And have it just hide all the ones that don't work with Comcast. Um, So that that whole thing needs to be cleaned up. And Roku isn't doing that much better right now, but Apple could take a step forward because there's already some areas where they're a step behind um, both Roku and Fire TV have a universal search that the Apple TV doesn't have. Fire TV is doing really cool things with voice commands, and that would just be a gimme for Apple. They could put Siri in the Apple TV. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so Apple's behind on a couple of steps, so I would like to see them catch up with those things and then, you know, go a little further and wow us again. Because the Apple TV is really cool. I use mine every day, but there's just nothing that it does that the other boxes can't do. Right, except its relationship with iTunes and, yeah. you know, all the app stores, which is great. And one thing I do like about it is, in a sense, it doesn't, like Roku has, I don't know, a thousand channels. Yeah, like 1,500, so, but most of them you don't want. Exactly. Yeah. So, I, I mean, you look at the Apple TV in a way in that it's sort of curated, which is like, here's the stuff that you really want. Yeah. Except Amazon, which I really want. Yeah. And I know that they're in a competing market, and so maybe that will never happen, which I think would be too bad. But at least if there's something out there like HBO Go, they're on it, or Showtime, and they're on that. And they've got the major stuff so that I don't have to go through Roku and go, do I want this? No, it looks bad. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. And do that 1,486 times. Yeah. Sounds like kind of... Not something I want to do. Yeah. But I mean, these content deals are so tricky because it's not just Apple and the developers making HBO Go. They still have to talk to, you know, all these different providers. Like, so I have, I used to have Comcast and on Apple TV, HBO Go supports Comcast. On Roku has HBO Go. Can't use it with Comcast. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's this whole triangle of what channels you have what device you have, and what service provider you have. And those all have to fall into place for you to be able to see the stuff. And that's just really annoying to end users. And no one's figured out a good way to, to, to do that yet. So with Apple and all its clout in the entertainment industry, I think they're in a unique position to be able to you know hammer this down and really make it better. Yeah, I think the solution is to take uh, the executives of Comcast and DirecTV <laughs> and the various ones, just throw them into a fiery pit but one by one <laughs> until the point where they finally say, okay, fine, we know we're making it difficult for everybody to get the content that they want. So uh, before you throw me in, yes, now I'm, I'm the junior executive, the one that's still alive. Yeah. Um, sure, fine, do whatever you want, just don't throw me into the fiery pit. Yeah. Because I think they're the bad people in this. Yeah, definitely. All right, good. We agree on who the bad people are. Um, Retina iMac? That was something that came out last week or something. Everyone, yeah, 9to5Mac talked to some sources that said Retina iMac. I, I don't know. I kind of think Retina Cinema Display should happen first or Thunderbolt yeah. Display, whatever they're calling it now. Thunderbolt Display. Right. Um, because so many people have laptops. Like, who buys a new iMac? You don't buy that many new iMacs. Yeah, I think they do both of them. 
So while they, if they do Retina IMAX, because I think it's it has more splash than just saying monitor. Yeah. Um, but it did seem odd that they came out with a new Mac Pro, which has this massive graphics card in it and does all these fantastic things. And you can plug it into our non-Retina display. Yeah. So, uh, but maybe with a display, instead of calling it Retina, which could mean anything, they make it a 4K display. Yeah. And say, yeah, it's a Retina 4K. And maybe they have to put 4K in the name so that people know that, no, it's the real deal. It's not just Retina, which is basically Apple saying, awesome. Yeah, it's kind um, of a brand name more than a actual spec. Right. But I know that they've uh, that Apple has talked about Yosemite being really great under Retina. Mm-hmm. And so it would make sense that their most popular desktop computer were to support such a display. Yeah, that would be great. Um, 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 oh, and speaking of Yosemite, so that's going to come out sometime this fall, Apple has told us, so maybe they'll give us some details on that. Or maybe they'll just flip the switch and say, today, go get it. Yeah, they've done that before. That's that's very it's a very Apple move. Yeah. And then all the journalists' heads explode because now they have to write about two things instead of... <laughs> You have to write about one more about thing. <laughs> two things. I I can write about one thing, but I can't write about Yeah. Anything. Won't someone sometimes think they, of the press corps? <laughs> they never do. <laughs> they put them in the side seats. You don't get to sit up in the front with Al Gore. And you have to write about two things. And sometimes more. And so, um, I, but then, you know, Apple would hold like 12 events in the, in the fall. I'm not sure that would be even, that would be better. Maybe just get it done with. Okay, um, we have more to talk about. And before we talk about them, here is a word from Veradesk, which is the height-adjustable standing desk for a healthier working environment. According to the Mayo Clinic, it's a fact. Sitting all day is bad for your health. The Veradesk is a height-adjustable standing desk that sits on top of your existing furniture, and it allows you to raise from a seated position to a standing one in just three seconds. It ships fully assembled and is ready to use right out of the box. There are four models to choose from for single and dual monitors, starting at just $275. Learn more at veradesk.com. That's V-A-R-I-Desk.com. And when you do, make sure to let them know that we sent you by putting our podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section at checkout. Okay, uh, this is a non-Apple thing. This is more of a trend business kind of what's happening in technology thing. But uh, today, or yesterday, or a day before that, HP talked about that they're going to split out its computer and printer business. So they're going to have services on one side and then a separate company that's going to do printers and computers. So not that we're terribly interested in what HP has been doing, but they've been making, you know, the Mac compatible printers for ages. And at one time, they were the ones making Apple's printers. And so is this a sign of the times that we're looking at these former behemoths like HP, which was kind of the really big company forever, and they're kind of being killed off or they're getting lessened um, because they're not keeping up to date with mobile and services, but kind of much like Microsoft was doing for a while, just kind of doing the same old thing and figuring that was good enough. Yeah, I don't know. I just saw this this morning and... 
I can't really tell like if this is good, if this is HP being smart and being proactive about, you know, doing business today and they're on top of it. Or if this is like, oh, man, one of these sides is doing really, really bad. Like, let's split it off. So when it goes down, it doesn't take everybody down. I don't know. It's hard to it's hard for me to, to say. Yeah, because they haven't. I mean, they've sort of dabbled in mobile. It, it's sort of like they've had like three bad CEOs. Um, I don't know how Meg Whitman is now, whether she's good, bad, or indifferent, but I know prior to that, they had a couple of bad ones. And they tried, you know, and they sort of fumbled around for a while, and like Carly sort of, you know, turned the, the company inside out and destroyed the culture, got rid of a bunch of people, and then like licensed iPods, like that was going to save the company, and like, nope, that didn't work out so well. And then they uh, kind of trip all over themselves and they buy the Palm OS and then they look at it and kind of, you know, like a Rubik's Cube, they sort of look at all sides of the thing and they played with it for a while. And they go, no, we just spent a ton of money on that, but no, let's just get rid of that. So that was sort of their mobile strategy, which just fell apart because they couldn't seem to deliver on it. And then, plus, back in the old days, HP used to make all the test equipment in the world. So medical devices, you'd go into a doctor's office and there was an HP thing in there of some kind, particularly in specialist office, that stuff's gone. And so they're left with computers and printers. So it means they're making PCs, which are declining rapidly. Printers, people are increasingly using devices like tablets to look at stuff. So printing isn't as big as it once was. And then their services, whatever those are. So, oh, and they're still making servers. So people, you know, making movies or buying these huge servers, which I guess is going to be okay for the computer business. But it does seem like when it was time to change, they were looking the other way or they were so disorganized internally, they just didn't have the bandwidth to do it. And, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of feeling badly for them that I grew up in the Bay Area. I knew people when I was a kid who worked at HP because that's they were still starting out then. And to see this great company reduced to kind of like, huh? Uh, it's too bad. I hope that, that Meg can turn it around and this actually makes sense and we see some exciting things coming out of HP. Yeah, it is too but, bad. But this kind of move makes me think, hmm. I don't know. It sounds like something to do to show the board that you're like, oh, look, I'm taking action here. Yeah. Uh, restructuring. Yes, restructuring or making new divisions. And they did that with Agilent. That's what they did with their medical devices. I knew somebody who went over to Agilent, worked there for a couple of years, and that just fizzled. And then they hired him back to HP, and that fizzled. And so, sorry, HP. We hope that uh, that you do better. And this somehow works out. Something wonderful comes from it. Um. Another trendy thing happening is that Facebook, our good friends at Facebook, they're going to crack down on fake likes. Oh, gee. <laughs> Do you have any opinion? There goes my side business of selling oh, selling dear. likes. Well, so what is this whole, what's this all about? I don't know. I, what's a fake like? Well, I think it's, it's astroturfing, right? Yeah. And I just think people, apparently... A like, like having followers like so many other things in social networking, people believe is the same thing as money yeah. or power. And so there will be companies that come in and they have a page set up on Facebook because everybody does. And Follow be us on people... Facebook, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was real, though. That was not fake. Can you do that in a voice that's not yours? <laughs> like... And that's kind of what it is. 
so it's all really just absolute tripping. You hire people or you, you know, I'm sure there are companies somewhere that all they do is go like, 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 like all day and you pay them like little micro payments for every single like. Well, with Twitter, I mean, if you have 10,000 Twitter followers and you send out a tweet, that tweet will go to all 10,000 people. Whether or not they show up and read it is, you know, another story, but they'll all get it. It'll all be in, it'll be in every single one of their timelines. With Facebook, if you have 10,000 followers on Facebook for your for your page, um, not your personal account, but your your page, you have 10,000 fans. Um, for your brand. If you send out a message to them, they don't all see it. Facebook uses their algorithm to determine which of these people who signed up on purpose to, you know, fan your page, if they're really your fans or not, uh, you know, they'll, they'll show you a couple, but they, so we have, I don't know, on, on TechHive, we had like 40,000 Facebook people and I would send a thing and it would say, yeah, 800 people got that on their pages. And so, so more likes for any of your your updates that you're pushing out mean that the algorithms will think, oh, you're more popular, and they'll start showing, they'll start surfacing your posts to more people. And you can always pay Facebook to show your post to more people, but mm-hmm. just the organic reach is really based on likes. So, so yeah, this is kind of a way for Facebook to to, to if. Pages are trying to game the system by having a lot of people like their stuff so it'll be seen more widely. Then Facebook is saying, no, 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 no. You're supposed to pay us to boost those things. Ooh, they, yeah. Yeah. They say boost this update instead of just buy an ad because you're basically buying an ad to for people to come look at your stuff. So, so yeah, there must be this whole thing where people are farming out likes to like farms or something. I don't know. So what you're telling me is that Facebook isn't interested in being nice or good. They're just look they don't want somebody else taking their income. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I mean mobile good. advertising is like you know, advertising and mobile advertising in particular is how they're making all their money and yeah. so if there's any kind of way that you can use it for free, they only want you to have a very small feature set and you know a small reach, and then you have to pay to boost that reach. So if people are you know trying to game their algorithm, then I could see them cracking down. It'd be like face you know when Google changes their algorithm a little bit because everyone's figured out how to you know SEO their stuff to the top, and Google's like, no no no, we're trying to do this you know, our way and we don't want you guys coming in and gaming our system. They'll just change the rules a little bit to to give themselves the upper hand again. Good. Okay. Well, that's completely in line with my view of Facebook. I <laughs> really was upset for a bit where I thought, oh, really? Well, that sounds good. Oh, no, it's self-serving. Okay, good. That's kind of what I thought. Uh, but what I do wonder for those that are in the this sort of business who are not Facebook is the reliability of feedback going to become a feature of some kind. For example, there are people uh, who look at iTunes reviews or Amazon mm-hmm. reviews, and they are a little suspicious of them sometimes. They go, gee, this thing got 12 reviews all in one day for an app that nobody's ever heard of before within a, the span of about 12 minutes, and they're all five-star so should we pay attention to this? And should companies like Apple and Amazon get more serious about reviews so that people can use them as a reliable source for making purchasing decisions? Or is it really just the Wild West out there and we ought to just say, well, you know, people are going to game it if they can. Like from a 
customer perspective, it would be awesome if you could have more confidence that the reviews that you read on places like the iTunes store and the Amazon store were real reviews from people like you. But on Amazon and on iTunes end, it's probably just a lot of hassle for a little bit of return. And they they probably see these reviews systems as just kind of gravy that they're giving their users. But I don't know how much like they really care about making it super reliable. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's a press problem only, you know, that it looks bad if developers are complaining about it. Uh, I know a few years ago there was a huge uproar about Amazon reviews because people would just, particularly people in academia, they would go in and like sabotage some other professor's book because it, you know, competed with theirs. And it somebody did an expose on it. It was really wonderful. And it confirms everything you think about the petty world of academia where people live in these ivory towers and are fighting each other over who got, you know, whose theory got out there first. Uh, but it is unfortunate for, you know, for the consumers because you do have to take all this stuff with a grain of salt. And I think on Amazon, they're also, they have paid reviewers there and you sort of wonder, well, it's, you got this product for free. So are you really going to say it's awful if it is? Because that might threaten your ability to get the next free one. Yeah. Okay. Well, we haven't sold that one either. There's a really funny, just kind of as a postscript, there's a funny Twitter feed called Amazon Movie Reviews, and it's truncated a little bit. Um, but anyway, it's you can just Google Amazon Movie Reviews Twitter, and all it does is find one-star reviews on Amazon about movies that just make no sense. Like, it'll be, you know, for for Old Yeller, there'll be a one-star review that's like, there was no yelling in this movie, or just (laughs) something that makes no sense at all, and they just tweet these one-star reviews, and it's hilarious, so. I would love to have a feed of uh, funny Amazon reviews, because there's some of them that are absolutely hysterical, that that people tweet around, but I don't think there's a list of somebody that's actually going and searching for these things. Yeah. Um, Just hysterically funny stuff so i will i'll do a search and if there's something that shows up i will put it in the show notes oh yeah that's right we have show notes i can send you this for the show notes oh cool okay so uh we're going to close out in a minute but before we do a word from igloo which is the internet you'll actually like igloo is the internet you'll actually like and that tells you something about internets if that's the way you have to market your product See, Igloo is built with easy-to-use apps like shared calendars, Twitter-like microblogs, file sharing, and more. Everything is built right in, and everything is social, meaning that you can share it, you can comment on it, you can rate it, and you can like it. It's all about getting your company communicating better and more openly. Technology is getting progressively more mobile, from smartphones to Wi-Fi to wearables, and it's all about connecting on the go. With Igloo, one of the best features is that their internet solution was designed with mobile in mind, with responsive design built in. So, it'll work on the latest and greatest iPhone, and even those Android and BlackBerry devices too. Try Igloo for free. Go to igloosoftware.com backslash Macworld. That's www igloosoftware.com slash Macworld. And then finally, it has been, uh, word has leaked that the Yosemite Goldmaster is out. We don't know that this is the gold Goldmaster because it turns out in the old days, the Goldmaster meant the one you were going to ship. And these days, Goldmaster means probably we're going to ship this one, but maybe not. There may be another one. It's a Goldmaster um, candidate. 
Oh, that's right. Goldmaster candidate. So we think this is awesome, but uh, it could get awesomer. Yeah. Now that they're not printing discs anymore, they can they can probably change things right up until the last minute. Right. And so what what it's really for is developers. So they could say test against this. No, seriously, test against this and get your stuff into the store updated uh, yeah. with uh, compatibility. So given that this is this signals that it's coming, you know, weeks. It's coming. It's coming. We don't it's know coming. when it's, it's really going to. We're not right. we're not just being coy. No, no. Soonish, I think, is, is how we term this. Yeah. Um, are there any features, given what you've seen uh, that's been publicly announced that you're particularly looking forward to? Yeah, there's a lot. Um, I use Spotlight all the time, and I'm really excited about the new Spotlight. Um, I use Spotlight to launch apps, to find contacts, to do little calculations, to... What else do I use Spotlight for? I kind of use it constantly. I don't keep any icons in my dock. I launch everything with Spotlight. And then when my dock gets really big, I'm like, wow, I have a lot of stuff running and I should go quit some of it. So so the fact that they're making Spotlight just front and center, it's going to have all this contextual information. When I start typing in the name of an application that I want to launch, it'll show me the last few documents I've been working on so I can jump right to those. Um, yeah, Spotlight's going to be really cool. I was wondering a few times, a few different times, like, should I go back to Quicksilver? Should I get LaunchBar? Alfred? Like, is Spotlight really doing everything it could be doing for me? But they keep enhancing it, so I'm just going to keep using Spotlight because it's right there and I already know how to use it. Yeah, that looks really good. A uh, thing I'm particularly looking forward to is continuity. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because uh, I'm one of those people who never leaves my house. Um, and so I rarely use my iPhone for the purpose it was designed or one of the purposes, which is to make calls. And so my iPhone lives upstairs and my office is downstairs. And I deal with some people in the world who don't actually have iPhones and they send me SMS messages. Well, if I only pick up my phone every three or four days, that message has gotten a little stale, you know, like it's my mother, you know, because she type, sends me SMS messages. And I go, oh, mom contacted me three days ago. Oh, it was an emergency. Ah, uh, Oh, brushing my teeth. Yes, I will. Thanks, mom. Um, so now I will be able to pass off SMS messages that come to the phone upstairs and they will come down to my Mac and they will appear there and then I can reply and I don't have to jump back to my phone. And um, it, I know that's not Apple's problem. I think it's great that they did iMessages so we could start moving away from SMS, but SMS is cellular based. And so the fact that Apple has come up with some way that they can translate SMS into iMessages, forward them to you, and then through your reply, send them back out via SMS is terrific. Um, It's going to help me a lot. Um, Also transferring calls from that phone upstairs down to my Mac, because again, if it rings, I don't know because I don't have it with me. So um, another place where Apple is kind of tearing down walls so that you're using the best device for the best purpose if you have multiple devices around you. And I think that's kind of the theme of Yosemite and iOS 8 together is that where people were concerned in the past about the iOSification of OS 10, I think what we're seeing here is kind of a melding. And it really focuses again on getting to your stuff and having the best experience on whatever device you happen to be using at the time. And if you have choices, being able to quickly move to the best choice, um, given what's around you. 
Yeah, iMessage on the Mac was a little wonky when it first came out, so I didn't embrace it right away. But now that it's been working better and we've had it for a little while, it's been really striking how it separated my friends into kind of the sheep and the goats, you know? <laughs> like there's the ones yeah. I can reach anywhere with iMessage and send them like rich stuff and big group conversations. And then there's the people that are still on SMS. If you put one of them in a group conversation, the whole thing goes to SMS and it doesn't come to your Mac and it isn't, you know, synced up nice through all your devices. And so it's, it's going to be nice to have that kind of fixed where you'll be able to use iMessages to talk to your Android friends and your friends that are still on feature phones. And yeah, it's, um, it's a really welcome addition. So when Yosemite comes out, we know that it's going to have an iOS 8-like interface in that it's a flat design, just as iOS 7 was. Mm -hmm. Do you think we're going to just hear screams from one end of the globe to the other and they say, oh, I'm never going to use this because it looks different? Nah, I mean, the thing with design changes is that it's always, you know, it's different at first and you're like, oh, it's different. And then a week later, you just don't even notice. And then, you know, someday you'll find your... Maverick's laptop and fire it up and be like, oh, wow, this looks really strange. So it's, I don't know. It's just one of those things that people get used to, I think, pretty fast. Every time Facebook redesigns, everyone freaks out. And then a week later, you just, it's hard to remember what it looked like before. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think with iOS 7, people did freak out, not just because of the design changes, but some of those changes made it harder to use. Mm -hmm where you couldn't tell what a button was and some of the targets were smaller than they used to be. Um, some of the fonts were so thin you couldn't read it very well, particularly on a small device if you had older eyes. Yeah, they had to add a setting for that, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. But I think when you're talking about a Mac where you've got a much bigger playground mm -hmm. to play in, these elements are not going to be nearly so... I mean, it's, it, it definitely is going to be different. But it's not going to be to the point where, like, they've made it so different that this is harder to use. It's just going to be different. And exactly as you say, come a week or two later, you jump back to Mavericks and go, wow, it looks so bubbly and cartoony and 3D and ick. Who does that anymore? Yeah. Yeah, just from playing with the beta a lot. I, re I really like all the, the design changes. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it totally makes sense to me. Um, after using iOS 7 and getting used to that and then seeing what they were doing in the in the beta made, made a ton of sense. And I think the thing that it's hard for people like us and probably a lot of the listeners to remember is that Apple's getting more customers who enter through the iOS side now. So those people are used to the iOS design language and if they're coming to the Mac, having the Mac kind of resemble iOS a little more, at least aesthetically, will, will make that easier for them to learn. Because it's, I'm sure a lot more people are coming to their first Apple device as an iPhone or an iPad, and then they say, oh, wow, I hear this works really great with those Mac computers. Let me check that out. Yeah, absolutely. I was doing some presentation a couple of years ago where I was railing against, I don't know, some feature um, on Mountain Lion or something. And I, I just said, this makes no sense to me. And, and somebody in the back just said, well, of course it makes sense because I came from an iPhone and that's the way they do it on the iPhone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a users group, so people just scowled at it. <laughs> but, you know, for me, like the, the light came on and go, oh, of course, yeah. because you represent the future. A lot of people in this room are the past. They're used to the Mac being it. And then they want to see Mac's, Mac OS design elements in iOS. And it's, it works the opposite way. The first thing you touch is an iPhone or an iPad. And then you think, yeah, all right, 
right, I'll try their computers too. Oh, look, it works kind of the same way. Yeah. Okay, well, um, so re- uh, listeners, don't prove us wrong. When Yosemite does come out, please don't scream too loudly. And, uh, I mean, you know, we could be wrong. It's happened. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're the voice of authority. Yeah. They're supposed to believe everything we say. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> knowing that, uh, so I guess you can believe us when we say that we're done for the day. That's the end of the podcast because that's how we roll out of these things by saying we're done. So, um, this was good. Yeah. Let, let's do it again good next talk. week. Good talk. Good talk. We'll talk next week. Same bat channel. And that wraps up another episode of Macro Podcast, brought to you by Veridesk, the height-adjustable standing guest for a healthier working environment, and Igloo, the internet you'll actually like. If you have any comments or questions, drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com. Thanks for listening.